if you're owning your property and you don't want it to be that active, I mean, you could, that, that's the, I guess, another great thing about this strategy is that, you know, you do have flexibility. I mean, you could put your listing as a, where you're forcing someone to do like a, a 14 night minimum or a seven night minimum, right? So then probably becomes less active, right? Because then you, you're only getting a new guest every seven days versus if you have a two night minimum, you potentially might be, I mean, getting new guests, well, every three, four nights, right? So there is that flexibility. And yeah, some people do like 28 night minimums. So they're, I guess, targeting people who are in the city for a month. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate investors, we have Karsten Howe on our show today. Karsten is a seasoned sales executive for a SaaS company called Meltwater, where he has been in sales for over 14 years, leading and growing a sales team. And real estate has slowly become an extremely lucrative side hustle for Karsten, who started out using the uh, traditional birth strategy, which is buy, renovate, rent, and refinance recently pivoted into building a profitable short-term rental business. We were able to delve into some of the key elements for building a short-term and uh, rental business along with the concept of rental arbitrage. It was a great episode and a definitely a viable strategy for many investors nowadays looking for an alternative to long-term traditional rentals. Here's Karsten. Hey, good morning, Carson. So happy to have you on the show today. So we'll just uh, start uh, with, uh, you know, maybe telling our viewers a little bit about uh, who you are, um, you know, your your origin story, where, you know, wh what you do or what you have been doing for a living and, and really how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, definitely an honor to be on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I currently still have a nine, nine to five job that I work at, work at a company called Meltwater, which is a software as a service company and, and we do social media software. So I basically lead a team of account managers, uh, there, but yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, I, I reread, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad and, uh, it really kind of was a light bulb moment that, you know, I should acquire, assets, invest in real estate, and um, it's a great way to, to build wealth and kind of an additional stream of income. Uh, so yeah, uh, basically a year and a half ago is where, when I really started uh, focusing uh, in terms of real estate investing and trying to build a portfolio. So, so yeah, really last year started 
acquiring um, multifamily properties in Brantford and the Niagara region and uh, went with the, the Burr strategy. Uh, and yeah, I think when I first started the journey of trying to scale a portfolio, I, I was quite naive, I guess, with all the uh, social media posts out there. I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, if I buy 20, 30 homes, uh, it should generate enough cash flow for me uh, to kind of have that time freedom. But, uh, you know, six months in, I realized, like, it's not that easy, right? Um, even with do, being able to do full burrs or, or close to full burrs, it, it was, uh, you know, the cash flow is, it's very um, up and down, right? Sometimes you, you have maintenance issues and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I realized that I needed kind of like an active strategy as well. Um, to build a, I guess, a, another income stream. And, uh, you know, for the past six, seven months, I've been focusing on, on building a, a short-term rental portfolio as well. Um, so that's a little bit about my background and from a real estate investing standpoint. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your current, uh, employer, uh, your company that you work on, a SaaS company, social media software, I'm curious to know what they do and, and, you know, has that helped you in any way in, in terms of attracting uh, leads to your business uh, or tenants, things like that? Yeah. I mean, I've been with uh, Meltwater for 13 plus years. So I actually joined the company straight out of university. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely helped me because I've basically been doing sales for, for 13 plus years now running different sales teams and, and doing sales myself. So, you know, when it comes to the Airbnb arbitrage model, it, it's definitely helps in terms of understanding how I can add value for the landlord and being able to convince them that, you know, this is a better strategy working with me than uh, the traditional kind of long-term rental route. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of transferable skills that, that come into play um for for the business right uh for for those our listeners that don't know what arbitrage means who uh maybe give us a little you know uh summary of what that is yeah this is like the new the new buzzwords right so it's it's something that i think is fairly new um maybe it existed before but people weren't talking about it i find that short-term the conversation around short-term rentals has really heightened especially with investors in ontario and you know maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but i hear a lot of people talking about this and exactly for the same reason that you mentioned that you know the the long-term rental business has lots of issues in terms of unpredictability with you know especially because of our weather too right like there's so many maintenance maintenance issues that consistently come up so people are looking for again active income so yeah maybe talk to us a little bit about why you sort of pivoted because you were you know you you did sort of mention it but why you pivoted into this why you chose this and um how the different types like arbitrage versus owning um short-term rentals works sure yeah i mean basically the i guess what's known there out there is airbnb arbitrage so in a way you know short-term rental arbitrage so the strategy is you would rent a home from uh from a landlord and uh just like any long-term rental you would 
pay the landlord first and last month's rent and pay them rent on time, you know, every month. And with the goal of then re-renting it out, furnishing it really nicely, uh, and then re-renting it out onto platforms like Airbnb. Um, I mean, you can use other platforms like VRBO as well. And then the, I mean, goal would be obviously to profit off the spread of the rent versus the bookings through the Airbnb platform. So that's, in a nutshell, the the strategy. And yeah, I mean, I think as investors, uh, a lot of us have heard or maybe even experienced the horror stories of tenants um, not paying rent or tenants not treating your property with respect. And then... And then, yeah, like it's just a tough environment these days being a landlord in in Ontario, right? So I think that's why, you know, more and more people are aware of short-term rentals and aware of the strategy. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a, again, very, depend maybe depending on the city, very, you know, viable model. And And if you're kind of new to investing and maybe don't have that much capital like i think this strategy is also very good because it's kind of not as capital intensive as well like you can actually start even though you don't own the asset so to speak but you're you know there is a low barrier to entry from a capital standpoint um to you know pay first last month rent furnish a, a place and then um you know, for $20,000, basically, of investment, you can start kind of making decent cash flow off off that investment. Right. So, you know, maybe uh, tell us why. Uh, so from, let's say, I'm an, I'm a, I'm an owner of a property and um, you were to approach me to do an Airbnb. From a landlord's perspective or the, uh, the owner's perspective, uh, why would I want to consider working with you for sure yeah so i like to and and this took me probably like a good four or five months to really understand the value i'm bringing to the to the landlord to be honest right like you read about you know how i how someone who is a arbitrager can add value but until you really do it you you then understand kind of the value you're bringing um, but essentially, it's like me providing property management to the owner free of charge, essentially, right? Because I'm going to be taking care of the all the lawn and snow removal. I'm going to be taking care of all the minor repairs and maintenance. So like, I don't know if a light bulb goes off or if a doorknob is broken or whatever the minor issues are, right? Um I would be the one who essentially bears that cost. And, um, and yeah, so that's, you know, as investors, when we run our Excel spreadsheets and run our numbers, we usually have a 5% repairs and maintenance. Essentially that can be eliminated from your pro forma. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge event and then no tenant calls really, right. Unless the AC stopped working or like the roof, started leaking like that's obviously not a minor thing like obviously i would work with the landlord from that standpoint to try and get things fixed but um yeah i mean we're 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 help we're no tenant calls for the for the landlord and the the big thing i think as well as 
you know, there's pros and cons to every strategy, right? Um, and obviously the, the common stigma, I think, with Airbnb is that, well, people are going to party, people are going to trash your place. You know, it's, it's those like five or 10 articles that people uh, read and, and then they have this kind of negative stigma towards it. But at the end of the day, um, 90% of guests, you know, just have a normal, normal stay. And obviously there are times where there are issues, maybe furniture gets broken or, or whatever the, the case may be. But then I always explain to, to, to the landlord, like that's, that's a one-off instance, right? And our goals are very aligned to the landlord's goal in terms of making sure that the property is in perfect condition um, for 365 days a year. So with us, if a guest damages something, even if I didn't want to fix it, I'm kind of forced to fix it because the next guest who comes in is expecting like kind of a brand new home to move into. Right. So uh, I think from that standpoint, like our goals are, are very aligned. And also like if a guest does damage something, it, again, it's a one-off thing that we will fix and then it will kind of, it, it will be like new versus if you had a long-term tenant, like good luck, right? If they if the tenant puts a hole in the in the drywall, like y- the chances of you getting the long term tenant to pay for that are kind of close to zero. Uh, and even worse is that they they're kind of they don't have to move. They're stuck in that <laughs> they they they're stuck in that property for maybe years and years, right? So, you know, we always hear stories of long term tenants when they move out you have to spend like 10 15,000 repainting this that and the other right so with like our strategy um that that really doesn't happen because our goal is to provide landlords with a stress-free investment and then at the same time if and when we do decide to end the lease that we are returning that property to the landlord the way we found it right yeah no that that's honestly it everything you said resonates i mean 100% i i every time you turn around a unit especially after 2 to 3 years 4 years 5 years uh you're 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 spending that money no matter what um it's just it's just a given but anyway um so maybe talk to us a little bit about the location of airbnbs so i think that traditionally when people think of um airbnbs they always think of like you know, buying something either in cottage country or buying something in sort of a high vacation destination. Is that the strategy? Is it getting rentals that are in um, locations that are frequented heavily by visitors or like vacationers, I should say? Or is, you know, like what if I have a property in like Hamilton, Ontario? Or what if I have a property that's not in a, you know, quote unquote, highly desirable vacation location? Is that is that viable or, or how do you, how do you, what's the strategy? Yeah, actually when I first uh, started looking into this and trying to pick a market or pick some markets, I, I actually kind of didn't want to go into um, kind of those vacation spots that only depended on tourism. Um, Cause my thought process was, again, there would be a lot of volatility. Like it's probably going to be very good in the summer and then you'll have some very like low points in the year 
Um, I, I kind of wanted to find cities that had kind of like when, when you're looking for to buy a property that has like multiple industries or, or whatnot. So that's why I actually landed on Hamilton because I thought it was like a big enough city. It has um, McMaster. It has different colleges. I think Mohawk College. Um, it has several hospitals. Um, there's a bit of tourism probably as well that happens in, in Hamilton because they have uh, like, for example, the Hamilton Ticats. You know, they have events there. So I kind of wanted to pick a, I guess, a multi-purpose type of city so that kind of throughout the year, there are reasons for people to want a short-term rental. But yeah, definitely like a lot of people um, pick those like vacation spots, which again, make a lot of sense. Obviously we, we've probably all heard that people are, are renting cottages, like no tomorrow it's a hot market for, for cottagers. Right. Um, So there's definitely a a market there as well. Um, And what I, what I probably find and this is probably more of an assumption is that if you're, let's say you pick Muskoka as one of your markets, like it's probably quite hard to find a landlord who's going to like rent it to you for the full year. Like I feel like if you're in a cottage location, the landlord probably wants to be in that cottage for three, four months of the year. So it, it just adds maybe some complexity. Like there, it'll be, I assume, a bit harder to find um, just homes to rent in tourist-heavy areas. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That uh, makes a lot of for sense. arbitrage, that strategy may not work. Yeah. Uh, to to go into cottage country because uh, most likely the landlord, like the the owner himself, is trying to do Airbnb himself because they know that the demand is there and they're. they're well, perhaps one of the reasons they bought the the property was for that strategy as well. So, and and yeah, like for me, I would not expect that uh, for you know, like you know, that the Airbnb strategy or arbitrage strategy would work in Brantford or Hamilton, uh, or you know, yeah, people don't it, think that, right? Yeah, I I wouldn't <laughs> expect that. Yeah, but I'm 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 guessing there's always a demand for short term uh, rentals. Yeah, like I'm. Like again, until you actually do it, you don't really know. But I'm I'm always surprised by the type of uh, reasons, the reasons people come to to town, right? So like sometimes contractors are booking these short term rentals. Sometimes like uh, people are visiting families. Sometimes people are visiting family who are in hospital. People like need a couple of days because they're in town for a funeral, like. Uh, and then like there's companies who want to rent out homes for for like a, f- a full month uh, i'm surprised but in hamilton there's like a a, a movie scene as well so like uh, producers um or, or movie companies want want uh want a home for for a month because they don't want to be they have like late nights so they don't want to be traveling back and forth from hamilton to toronto after a long day's work so there's just like tons of reasons um that um, for example, for a city like Hamilton, people are are needing uh, short term uh, rentals. Maybe can you can you touch on um, you know single family home versus a you know duplex, triplex, or a small multifamily? 
what what have you found the differences uh, in terms of demand and uh, general appeal for the strategy? Yeah, so I mean, most of the most of my portfolio uh, are duplexes. Um, so I actually don't have any single family homes, but I, I feel like people like single family homes. Like, um, you know, you're not you're not sharing so called the home with with anyone else. So I, I, I feel like both type of uh, unit mixes work, uh, whether it be single family or duplex or triplex. Um, you just kind of have to, you know, run your run your numbers, so to speak, and make sure it it's viable. Yeah, yeah, and um, maybe for our listeners who are you know contemplating getting into short term rentals, let's say you owned a duplex, um, you know, in Hamilton, like downtown Hamilton, Hamilton Mountain. I don't know. Maybe you could compare for us just you know overview numbers on what kind of differences you would see doing a long term versus a short term rental on the exact same property. And not not to arbitrage, but just as a yeah, like I mean, assuming in, that you're saying like if you own the property, oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I'm being my 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 rent ranges between thirty eight hundred to four thousand dollars for a duplex. So that's what I mean. Um, I guess the the going market rate is for a duplex. So I, I'm assuming then it's like what twenty. $2,500 up, up, and then $1,500, $1,600 down, if that math makes sense. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It's, I mean, give or take like a little bit more down or up. Yeah, it's about four. If you short term it, I mean, I've been averaging between basically $6,500 to $9,000 on, on a duplex um, in terms of yeah, bookings. Right. So you could be looking at almost double yeah. in terms of gross rents. Yeah. Depending on the year and yeah, depending if you're pricing things, how you're pricing things and whatnot. Um, that's what I've I've seen so far, at least in Hamilton. You know, it ranges between sixty-five to maybe sixty-five to eighty-five on average. But yeah. And and uh, yeah, so maybe t- tell us about the seasonal effect of uh, the short-term rental. Um, I know vacation spots would be way different, but in terms of like these general areas, um, I would assume that probably not as much fluctuation with like you know for a city like Hamilton, for example. Yeah, I mean I've experienced like February, January, February being like quite slow, um, but it's been pretty consistent. Um, other than those months, I would say. Okay. So yeah, and and that is assuming how many days out of thirty days, how many down days would you have? Uh, I usually, in term when I'm, I guess analyzing a property, I, I usually assume five days vacancy, five to six days vacancy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, maybe talk to us a little bit about running Airbnb. It's obviously a little bit different than running a uh, rental portfolio. Uh, although long-term tenants have their struggles, um, it is generally more hands-free for the most part. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about how you're able to manage that. I mean, obviously you have a demanding nine to five job as well. You have a career and um, this is something that you're doing. So I mean, I'm assuming you have some some systems in place that allow you to do this without, you know, being there all the time handling everything. So maybe talk to us a little bit about how you systemized it. 
yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely very active. I mean, the the way the best way to see it is, you know, you're 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 running a mini hotel, right? Or or mini hotels, so to speak, right? So yeah. you're obviously now in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. and you know you have to deal with guest complaints and and all that stuff. So definitely a lot more active, um, but just like you know buying uh buying a home and and having your power team it's it's kind of like the same thing i think in in this business um so you know i think the most important thing is to f- be able to find a reliable cleaners i mean that's kind of the most one of the most important aspects of airbnb is to provide people clean homes to move into um and then you you kind of also need a I guess you can call it a property manager, but not quite. You kind of need to find someone who wants some side hustle money and kind of can be on call a little bit so that, you know, if a guest for whatever reason wants extra, <laughs> wants extra toilet paper, like you can rely on this on-call person to like just head over to the Airbnb and, and drop that off. Um, or maybe it's like, like we had these issues a couple of weeks ago because the because of the hot weather first time turning on the AC for the year AC didn't work so then you kind of want that on call person to you know head over try and see if it's fixable so so you kind of want that type of person um within the the city as well um and then from a guest communication standpoint like i i did a lot of that in my first like month or two where i'm where me i'm personally you know communicating with guests and providing them check-in codes and providing them checkout information and and whatnot but once you you know get to a certain number of units like there there is the ability to outsource that stuff through virtual assistants um so so that's what i've done um for the past like four months or so um, I have hired a team of virtual assistants. And so that basically from Monday to Sunday, I have 16 hours of coverage. So like the eight hour shifts from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. and then 4 p.m. till midnight um, to to cover basically all the hours, seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Because, yeah, the last thing you want is for this to be, you know, it's even more um, hands-on than like an average tenant, right? Calling you or... It definitely can be, right? Especially when there's issues that arise, like when when it's 25 degrees outside and there's no AC. For sure. Like, you know, you're like a long-term tenant, you can probably be like, oh, like wait a couple of days, someone will come. But like, if if that guest is there for like two, three nights they they expect ac right so if you don't for sure. you can't fix it within that time then you know you're probably going to end up having a bad review or going to have to compensate them in some way right so 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 yeah and a uh, question about uh, you know is there an ideal demographic or a person uh, that is staying an average of you know x number of days that you're looking for um, like when you are, when you have this uh, listing on Airbnb, uh, are you, you know, how many, how many, 
uh, inquiries would you get, for example, for, you know, let's say that one specific month or even one week, that, that specific week? Like for a particular property? Yeah. Yeah, I would probably get like three or four inquiries. Again, the inquiries come in ebb and flows, like, and I don't know why this is, but yeah, some days you get like 10 inquiries come in and then some days none, some days two. So yeah, it, it comes in, comes and goes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they, the inquiries are frequent, like they, they'll right. come through. Yeah. What I was kind of getting at was, um, you know, do you have any option of choosing who you want to uh, short-term rent to? You know, for example, a somebody that's going to book a one month versus somebody who's going to book like a couple of days or one week or something, you know? Uh, is there a certain preference that you give uh, one type of short-term renter versus another? Right. So, um yeah, for us, I mean, the we we put our minimum nights to to two nights. Okay. Um. So. So yeah, I mean, so that that's that's kind of how we set our listings up. So, but again, if if you're owning your property and you don't want it to be that active, I mean, you could. That that's the I guess another great thing about this strategy is that you know you do have flexibility. I mean, you could put your listing as a where you're forcing someone to do like a, a 14 night minimum or a seven night minimum. Right. So then probably becomes less active. Right. Cause then you, you're, you're only getting a new guest every seven days versus if you have a two night minimum, you potentially might be, I mean, getting new guests. Well, every three, four nights. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is that flexibility and yeah, some people do like, 28 night minimums so they they're they're i guess targeting people who are in the city for a month right right yeah and before we hopped on here we talked a little bit about the u.s um do you are you looking at arbitrage in the u.s and or and if not are there specific markets that you're focusing on right now yeah i mean there's definitely uh ambition and, and interest in, in kind of doing something in the U S I think it's, uh, yeah, it's just wanting to get the systems down, um, mm -hmm. before kind of expanding to a, to a different country. Um, and, and yeah, recently, like I've, I've, um, partnered with another investor to, um, actually look at some luck, look at arbitraging some luxury properties in, uh, in Vancouver. So that's a kind of a new journey that, that we're taking. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. And those are arbitrages. Yeah, those are arbitrages. Yeah. So we're essentially renting like, uh, luxury properties that are worth between six to $9 million. Wow. Um, and then, um, yeah, furnishing them and and uh, and and re-renting them out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And um, is there a resistance from how has it been with uh, getting them uh, to rent to you, uh, especially with the luxury properties? Are there is it is it harder? Is it easier? Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely quite intimidating. Uh, I would say when uh, you know you, you make those first couple calls to to real estate agents uh, to. You know, kind of pitch the idea, but um, 
you know, that, and we talked earlier about transferable skills. So, I mean, that's where it kind of comes into play. Like, as long as you're not afraid of rejection, like, you know, you eventually get a yes, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously took some time to, you know, kind of crack the market and again, understand kind of how to position the strategy um, for luxury properties like that. But yeah, I mean, after like, 10, 15, 20 rejections, you know, you finally get someone who's, who's interested and then, uh, and then, you, you know, you get on a roll and, and, and then more, more properties kind of come to light. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. That's really cool. And, uh, how has it been going? I mean, how long has it been running and, and maybe give us some feedback on the luxury market? Yeah. So we're just getting up and running. Okay. Uh, so we're we're having a target launch date of of July first for our first two. So we have like two uh, luxury properties that that we've gotten under contract. So yeah, I mean this month is is about furnishing the properties, like making sure kind of they're ready to go, and then um, and then July one we we are hoping to to list and and start getting some bookings. So yeah, wow. And then uh, I'm curious to know, uh, like, what kind of budget? What did you have for that? Those furnishing those uh, luxury, high high end luxury homes. Yeah, so actually, it's it's interesting. Um, we we've we found some properties that come furnished actually. Okay. So that actually reduces obviously the overhead quite a bit, but uh, we also have one that's that comes kind of half furnished and and the furnished furniture isn't really kind of the style we're looking for um but yeah i mean the the best way to estimate kind of how much furnishing you should uh you should you should put into the property or how much you should spend we usually try and spend three and a half to four times the rent so if rent was say ten thousand then you probably don't want to be spending any more than forty thousand dollars on on uh, furniture and whatever other furnishings you you want to put into the place. Right? Yeah, I know that's a that's a good formula. So three and a half to four times your your rent. Yeah, in 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 general, with your uh, portfolio here locally, um, you know, how many turns would you have per month, roughly? Is there is is I'm sure it depends on the area and things like that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if we yeah, it's usually five to six turns. Okay, so almost a weekly re- rental on average. Okay. Yeah, and and if and again, we we get monthly uh, requests as well. So if it makes sense for us, we'll we'll do the monthly, and uh, and then it's like no no turns and even better. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I was, um, that came to mind was when you're doing arbitrage, the properties that you're selecting, they're already upgraded. So is that the case or do you ever have to actually do capital improvements? Is it just a matter of coming in and furnishing or, you know, do you actually have to do other things? Like what if there's, you know, especially with the luxury, I think like what if there's a pool outside or what if, you know, you have to do some landscaping, is that stuff that comes to play or are they actually fully ready to go? Yeah. For my existing portfolio, like, yeah, we only focus on renovated um product mm-hmm. and uh and and yeah so it, ha- it almost has to be renovated like 
you know, modern, you, 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 as, as investors, we probably know the, know the look we're looking for, right? Like a nice white, uh, kitchen with a black hardware, um, quartz countertop, um, luxury vinyl plank flooring, like, you know, that type of renovated product. So that's what we, we look for. And, uh, from the luxury standpoint, like, again, we're, we're, we're learning as, as we're going, but we've been lucky. Like we've been able to negotiate that like pool maintenance, lawn maintenance. Um, those things would still be taken care of by the landlord. So, you know, those things are, you know, always negotiable, I would say. So yeah, definitely. Obviously once you get into the luxury market, you know, bigger risk, bigger reward, I guess, right? But but it's really to make sure you understand what type of costs are involved in running the property. Because essentially, you have to see yourself as, as a property manager at that point, right? right. So, you know, like, a, like utilities are probably like $1,500 to $2,000 a month, as an example, right? Um, so everything just multiplies when, it, when when you're in a luxury property. So it's just... You know, knowing those costs and then seeing kind of what you can negotiate so that, you know, the landlord is, you know, bearing some of those like expensive things potentially. Yeah, especially like you're doing, you're dealing with like ultra luxury. If it's like five to 10 million, like that is, that is not like, uh, okay, two, three million dollar home, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And maybe talk to us about who is your target demographic? Like who's coming to stay at these properties? Um, so we, we've heard in Vancouver again, like there's a big movie scene, right? So, um, and, and Vancouver, there's like a lot of celebrities, uh, who, who visit like the, like the property we, we have apparently movies have been shot there. So we could essentially rent the home to a, to a movie studio. Like I think Netflix has shot films or or shows there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a different, we're, we're catering to a different, uh, customer, obviously, like we're, we're catering to the ultra, ultra wealthy, um, or, or the wealthy. And, and, and then, so again, your, your, your risk profile, you could argue maybe goes up a bit in terms of obviously your, your front of house staff needs to, uh, increase their level of service, right? Right. So you know that's again between now and July one. That's kind of what we are, you know, making sure our systems are in place and what we're gearing up for. Because you know, someone who's renting that home is expecting a different level of customer service probably than uh, someone who's renting a duplex in Hamilton. So yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I know that's, that's really exciting, Carson. So where, what sort of, where do you see yourself going in the next five years? Like, what are your goals? Are you looking to focus primarily on sort of arbitrage and growing that out? Are you still acquiring buy and holds? Um, you know, what, what do you, what do you see? And also like whether or not, like, uh, I, do you work with joint venture partners? Yeah. Other people coming on board to kind of be part of, part of it. Good questions. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's still important to like own assets obviously and, 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 and acquire assets. So I think in the, in the long run here, yeah, actually I've started 
investing in in Alberta, in Edmonton specifically. So I think for me, I'm going to, yeah, keep finding good deals and and try and uh, buy buy homes and and buy assets, but probably buy in markets that allow for short-term rental. So then I have the option to kind of, if I want to do long-term, I can do long-term or I can do short-term. The, when I, the, the properties that I have now in Ontario, like when I mentioned Brantford and Niagara region earlier on the, on the podcast, like those aren't really markets that really allow for it, if that makes sense. Um, so I really don't have that option. Uh, so, so yeah, it's picking markets that, that, that provide that option of short-term, long-term. So, so yeah, I think I'm, I want, I want to build a portfolio out in Edmonton. Uh, over the course of the next couple of years. And I still haven't decided whether I'm going to just take a backseat and, and do long-term rentals for those or do short-term, but I have the option. Right. And yeah, I mean, I'd say keep keep scaling the Airbnb portfolio for, for sure, right? Like um, there's still a lot of untapped markets that, that, are, that make it viable for, for short-term rentals. So so yeah, I just keep keep scaling that as well, probably over the, the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. So yeah, as we come to a close here, I just wanted to ask you if uh, there's listeners out there who want to get into the Airbnb space, because there's lots of people who are now looking to kind of, uh, you know, investigate this as, a, as an option, especially like you said, as a means of more active income, which many people are looking for. What advice would you give them? Um, you know, if they're new and just looking to start out, like how, how do you get your feet wet and how do you get going? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, as investors, we, we hear this a lot is take action, right? So, you know, I, I think I think just start with one, right? Like start with one, like try it out. Like that's kind of my, that was my mentality kind of going into it. Like, you know, I think my first rental was like $2,300 for like a three bedroom in Hamilton. So, you know, I was like, hey, if this doesn't work out, it's not that much of a risk um and and yeah like i I would just yeah i don't know i would just like start if you're committed to to this being an active strategy for you and and you're excited about it then uh you know i'd start looking at uh renovated rental listings in on kijiji and start calling landlords or maybe you already have a network of investors you're kind of close with. Maybe you're, maybe these investors have renovated homes up and coming. So, you know, maybe convince them to let you rent one and then, and then try it out. Like I made every mistake probably you could think of in the book uh, on my first one, right? Like I had, I, I went over budget on my furnishings. I hired People who, uh, you know, in terms of assembling furniture, they, they, they were like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be there at like nine o'clock tomorrow morning to help you build furniture. And this was like literally the night before, like looking in the eyes on Zoom and say, yeah, I'll be there. And then nine o'clock happens the next day and like no one shows up. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've probably, again, like, yeah, made every mistake in, in or, yeah, encountered challenges uh, building the business. But, um. But yeah, just do one and see if you like it. And then if you like it, you can probably do two, three, four. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, take action, right? That's the biggest takeaway is like you got to just start with one. Yeah, like there's really no no manual or book to 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 help you understand like every single scenario that can happen in short-term rental like i still encounter issues every day like that i've never <laughs> never encountered before so you just got to you know be able to to troubleshoot and be ready for for issues to 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 come up um i mean another option is you can look for some mentorship and um, you know, I think there's video courses out there that you can learn the basics, right? If, if you, like, it doesn't hurt to get some education, but at the end of the day, you know, even after you consume that education, you're just going to have to take action and try and get a property and, and start with that. Similar to, I think, like buying investment properties, right? Yeah. You, you don't really know what you're getting into. You buy one and then you see how it goes and then. You know, you get you get the hang of it and then you buy the second, the third and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. And Kristen, if people want to get in touch, um, what's the best way for them to reach you? Websites, Instagram, Facebook. We'll put it in our show notes as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on all those platforms. Um, my Instagram handle is just uh, my first name, last name, uh, Karsten Howe. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Perfect. And uh, and your website as well, howproperties.ca. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, howproperties.ca. You can also, uh, yeah, check out uh, what, what we do there as well. Perfect. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for your time and sharing so openly. Um, I'm, you know, I think this is a cool strategy that, you know, more and more people are becoming aware of. So I definitely think our listeners will uh, gain some great insights. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Uh, again, thanks for the opportunity. And it was, uh, yeah, great to have this discussion. Awesome. Thanks, Kirsten. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now. So every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.